0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Christian Fellowship, kids. You are dismissed. Down to King's Table. Up to King's Table. Sorry. Um, thank you all for being here. Thank you for joining us and worshiping with us this morning. Uh, as we begin, I'd like to thank our hospitality team. Uh, they are the ones who come. It's uh, Amy Jackalone leads up that team, and they're the ones who they come early. They they make. Um, the place look nice they organize things Uh, they really try to help create in this building a sense of welcome a sense of um, exactly what the name of the team says hospitality where when you come in you feel welcomed you feel cared for you feel like you matter um, because you do we are so thankful that you're here whether you are visiting with us for the first time or this is your home church it is always a great pleasure and great joy uh To have you here to worship with us. And so, and I know that there are a lot of people who are part of this church who you are here because someone greeted you. Um, and and looked you in the eye and said hello and cared about who you were and walked you to the coffee and um, you are here because someone took that time and so thank you to our hospitality team and everybody involved. If that's a ministry you'd like to get involved in or get get involved with or get more information about, uh, please feel free to, on your Connect cards, go ahead and circle hospitality team and we will follow up with you to get you plugged in. So um, at this point, uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 16. Psalm 16, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seatbelt around you. And if you don't own a Bible, that's our gift to you. So please keep that, take that home with you. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. So we started a series a couple of weeks ago on the fruit of the Spirit. Um, we talked about how Paul says in Galatians that we are to be led by the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, allow the Spirit to speak and guide our lives. And the way that we can do that is uh, we've looked at a few different ways we can do that. Um, Number one, being in Scripture, being in the Word, reading regularly. We as a church are doing a two-year walk through the Bible um, uh, called our Two-Year Journey, where we're reading two chapters a day, every day, six days a week, and then Sundays we take a break. Um, If you haven't jumped in yet, go ahead, feel free to start it now. Start your two years now. You don't have to have started with us. Um, You can jump in at any point, so please, I encourage you to do that. So we've talked about being in Scripture regularly, being in prayer on a regular basis with God, being in community with other Christians, connecting with other Christians who are also trying to walk in the Spirit. These are ways that we can be growing. And as we do that, as we walk in relationship to the Holy Spirit, we're going to see the Spirit produce fruit in our lives. It's nothing that we produce. It is the fruit of the Spirit, so it's something that He does. It's the Spirit's doing in our lives. It is the Spirit cultivating these things in us. Love, joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These things are universally seen and accepted as good fruit to bear. And so that's why we're spending our summer to look at these different things. And so today we're going to continue by looking at joy. Um, Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know we did a whole series on joy in the book of Philippians, uh, which you can find on our website, churchandroscoavillage.org, which is also where you can find um, all kinds of information about events we have going on, ways you can get involved, lots of information there. But we did a whole series on joy, so some of this is going to be a little bit of review. Um, The great D.L. Moody once said that God gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. God gives his people perpetual joy when they walk in obedience to him. And that's my hope. That's my hope for me. Um, That's my hope for us as a church, that we are a people marked by perpetual joy. So today we're going to talk about what is joy, what isn't joy, uh, and what that looks like in our lives. So I'm going to pray and then we will jump into Psalm 16. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for another opportunity to worship you. God, you have made yourself known to us as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you make yourself known to us today so that we can understand your will, your purpose for us. Help us to trust you. Help us to enjoy you. To enjoy this life you have given us. To see your creative beauty in the creation you have made. Lord, as we go about our day and our week, help us as as we go through these days, to that we might give you glory and honor that you so richly deserve. Lord, as I preach this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. And we pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So we're going to be in Psalm 16. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. Joy is a confidence of God's control in my life that leads me to trust Him and praise Him regardless of circumstances. That's the definition we came up with when we walked through that series in Philippians. Joy is a confidence of God's control in my life that leads me to trust Him and praise Him regardless of circumstances. Ultimately, joy is a choice. Just like we talked about last week with love, joy is a choice. It's something we have to be intentional Now, many people want to make a big difference in church about the difference between happiness, being happy, being glad, and joy. They want to separate these two things. And and I agree that they are different, but I also think that they are connected to each other and maybe connected to each other more than we uh, want to admit. Because as you read scripture, as you read the Bible, the Bible uses the words gladness and joy together quite often. In Psalm 32, 11, it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Psalm 67, 4, David says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. For you judge the people with, iniqu- with equity and guide the nations upon earth. Jeremiah thirty one thirteen says, Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Clearly throughout Scripture, there is a correlation between these things. But I will say that they are different. Happiness is good. Gladness is good. Laugh, smile, celebrate do these things. The Bible tells us throughout Scripture, throughout the Old Testament, as God was setting up the Israelites, He was giving them, uh, He gave them these different festivals, these different celebration days that they had to, that they were supposed to mark. And really, God gives, part of the law says, celebrate, party, party hard, party and have fun, rejoice, be glad, do these things. But I will say there is a difference, because I believe that happiness Gladness, it it is good, but it's also usually temporary. It's usually kind of fleeting because often it's built on the circumstances at the time. You can wake up happy and well-rested and ready to greet the day. Then you get out of bed and you stub your toe. You go downstairs, you realize the coffee is out. Your bus is late work is just overwhelming that happiness you started the day with is probably gone by this point you see happiness gladness is based on circumstances so while it is good it is more of a shadow it it points us to something else it points us to the actual thing that we should be craving and that's joy joy is deeper Joy withstands the circumstances of life. Joy celebrates God at all times. Joy rests. Joy is able to rest because it is resting in God and His goodness. And so joy can transcend the circumstances of life. In verses 1 through 3 of this psalm that we read this morning, I mean really this whole psalm is David expressing his confidence in God. There is some kind of situation, there is some kind of uh, calamity happening. We don't know exactly the situation. Some have said that maybe this is written later on in his life as he talks about later on in the psalm about uh, his soul to Sheol. And so this idea of maybe it's, maybe David is, is getting ready to pass away. Maybe he's getting ready to die. But regardless, we don't know what the cir- circumstances are. But what we do see is that David is expressing his confidence in God. We see in verse one, I have no good apart from you. David knows that anything good in him, anything good that is in his life is from God. That is confidence. David was a rock star in his own time. He was the warrior poet. He could go into battle and kill all kinds of enemies. And then he would write an awesome poem about how he just beat you up on the battlefield. People would sing songs about his greatness He was the king over all of Israel. He had the money and power and authority. David was a rock star. But he says, anything good that I have, I have from God. He goes on in verse 2 and he says he delights in the other believers, the other ones in God's chosen family in the land. Those are a delight to him because they're in relationship with one another. And in verse 3, those who are not believers experience sorrow. Why? Because joy is. Comes from God. David had this deep confidence in who God is. No matter what was going on, David was able to trust God. And we can have that same confidence. Maybe even much more so because as Christians, we know of God's power and authority and love because we know the gospel. Because we've experienced the gospel. Because in the gospel, God shows his control over all things. If you go back to Genesis, Genesis 1, relationships between humans, perfect and good. Relationships between humans and God, perfect and good. Relationships between humans and creation, good, perfect. All things working in unity, all things were good. And then in Genesis 3, sin enters the world. And in Genesis 3, everything is broken. Relationships between humanity, between us and God, between us and work, all of these things are broken by sin. And yet we see in Genesis 3, God promises to fix what has been broken by the rebellion and entrance of sin into the world. And all throughout history, all throughout the Bible, you see God orchestrating things. God putting things together, putting people in place. Because he made a promise in Genesis 3. In Genesis 3, he said, I'm going to send one who is going to go to war with Satan. I'm going to send one who's going to do damage to Satan, who is going to put an end to this sin, who is going to fix what has been broken, who is going to restore things back to how they are supposed to be. And so all throughout history, God is orchestrating this, putting this line of promise, as we call it, together to get us to Jesus. And all throughout history, God continuously reminds his people, I'm with you, I'm for you, I have not forgotten you. I have not ignored you. I am still working for you. I am still going to restore things. Trust me. And God is putting things together so that Jesus would come at the right time in the right place and give us the hope that was promised in the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross for our sins. God has control over all things. And along with that power and control, there is also love. The gospel puts on display for us God's love for us his desire for our goodwill. We talked about last week how even though we were sinful and weak and rebels against God, he loved us enough to send his son to die for us so that anyone who believes that Jesus' life, death, burial, and resurrection is the only way to get to heaven, that person has the forgiveness of sins. That person is given a new life, a new creation, a new identity as a child of God. You see, in the gospel, we see God's power His authority, His love, His grace, and His mercy. And so for Christians who have seen all of these things at work in the gospel, who have experienced these things in their lives, that leads us to joy. Because joy is a confidence of God's control in our lives. And we see that in the gospel. We see that God is in control, that there is nothing Satan can do to deter God's plan. There is nothing Satan can do to stop God from getting the glory that he so richly deserves. And so we can find joy. That deep satisfaction, that deep pleasure, that deep enjoyment of our relationship with God. Because he is trustworthy. He's proven it over and over again. He is one who we can lean on. And he gives counsel. Verses 7 and 8, David talks about the counsel he gives, that David keeps him close at his right hand so that David will not be shaken. He trusts God. He trusts God's perfect wisdom, his perfect understanding. He wants to keep God close, that no matter what happens, he wants to keep God close because he trusts God. And he is the perfect one to find comfort and support in because he is with you and for you. And so because of who God is, we can find joy. Now, as we've said throughout this series, joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It is being cultivated by the Holy Spirit in us. It's not something that we produce, but rather it is produced in us by the Holy Spirit. We talked about our spiritual garden last week, right, where you have a garden and you see weeds start to grow up. If you pull weeds right at the top, the garden might look nice, but it's not healthy. And what's going to happen in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, those those weeds are going to sprout right back up. We talked about having to get to the root of these weeds, the root of these things that are going to choke out the fruit of the Spirit in us. That's walking in the Spirit. If we are keeping an eye on the weeds in our garden that can remove and choke out the fruit of the Spirit in us. These things that keep us from trusting God in all circumstances, they are the weeds in our lives that will choke out the fruit of joy. And we need the fruit of joy. Because it has great nourishment to give to us and to others. Because joy is good for your soul. Because joy allows you to rest when life is good. Joy allows you to relish in and savor the blessings that God has given you. It keeps us from worry and anxiety about when's the other shoe going to drop? When's things going to get hard again? When's it going to get messy again? This is how it plays out for me in my life. On those weeks when you know things are coming together, right? Sermon prep is happening, I'm productive, the to-do list is just getting checked off. I am cruising, right? My, my week is light. I got space. Instead of rejoicing in the space God has given, given me, in the in the rest that I can find in Him, instead of rejoicing in that and taking it, taking that on. I try to fill that space with different worries and anxieties. Instead of rest, resting and trusting that God is in control of all things and rejoicing in that, I work under the presumption that I'm in control. And I need to constantly be worrying, constantly be stressing, constantly adding to my plate. Because if I'm not doing something, how's it going to get done? If I'm not doing something, if I'm not working, if I'm not in control, how's ever, how are we ever going to move forward? And it's this weird anxiety and stress-filled life that's a weed in my life. Really, it's, it comes down to I'm not trusting God. That's a weed in my life. It's a weed I need to get out. It's a weed I'm working to choke out because I, I'm working to pull out because it is choking out and crowding out the joy the Spirit wants to produce in me. And I'll be honest, guys. I, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that guy, not as a husband, as a dad, as your pastor. I don't want to be that guy who thinks that the world revolves around him, who thinks that he has to be the one to do everything all the time, always for everyone. I don't want to be that guy. I want to be the guy who trusts that God is in control. That trusts and that when things are good, not only can I celebrate them, but I can rejoice in them. And I can rest. David says in verse 9: My heart is glad, my whole being rejoices, my flesh dwells secure. He says, I'm happy. All of me rejoices from my head to my toes. Every bit of me rejoices. I am secure and set. I am grounded in knowing that I can trust God in any and everything. How can you not want that? Joy is good for the soul. And joy is not just good when things are good. Joy is good for you even in the hard stuff in the suffering in the sorrow of life joy is good for our soul because because you trust god because you know he is in control because you know he is good and he loves you and is for you and you know that even when not if but when life gets hard you can have joy and we know this because there is no wasted time there are no wasted events In your life. You right now are not just killing time until that time when you can be useful or important to God. You matter right here, right now. You matter and are useful and important to God. Whatever season you are in, whatever you are going through, whether it be good or bad, hard or easy, whatever season you are in, whatever you are going through, God is using this time and these events to shape you and cultivate you. One of my favorite chapters in scriptures is Ephesians 2. Some of it is on the wall right here. And the verse actually after these verses that are on the wall, Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word workmanship is this idea of something being created. It is a work of art, I've heard it translated as. A work of art created by God. Something he has made. Think about when an artist approaches something to sculpt. He approaches a a piece, a hunk of marble or wood. And he sees, instead of just a big slab of marble or wood, the, the artist sees what it can be. Sees what they can create it into. And so they take their hammer and they take their chisel and they begin to cut away pieces. And as they do that, they have to use some force. It takes some hard work, it takes some some force to drive that hammer into the chisel into the to cut away. And I'm sure if that wood or marble could feel it would probably scream out in pain because it probably hurts. But from that pain, from that Chiseling, something beautiful will come. God is using the time and events that you are going through currently. The hard stuff, the good stuff. and Though it might be difficult, from all of these different events that you are going through, He is making you into the work of art He has designed you for. He is making you into the work of art that He has designed you to be, that He knows that you can be. He is preparing you, making you more and more into His image, preparing you for these good works that He has prepared beforehand, that He has things in place for you. And to get you ready for them, we have to go through some things, and sometimes it's good and easy, and sometimes it's hard and it hurts. There was a man who uh, lived in the 1800s. His name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio was a famous and wealthy lawyer. He and his wife actually lived in Chicago. Um, and around uh, the late 1800s, he invested a lot of his money, most almost everything, into real estate in Chicago. He saw Chicago as this next uprising city, and he wanted to be a part of it. And so he invested pretty much everything he had into Chicago real estate just before 1871. 1871 was a rough year for Horatio Spafford. Early in 1871, his four-year-old son passed away from the scarlet fever. And as he was dealing with that, in October of 1871, if you have a little bit of Chicago knowledge, you know that a certain cow kicked over a certain lantern and burnt down the city of Chicago in the Great Chicago Fire of 1871, in which Horatio Spafford lost all of his money and all of his investments. About two years later, it's 1873, and Horatio was trying to rebuild his life, trying to rebuild what he had lost, and decides in 1873 that it's time for his family to take a trip. He was close friends with D.L. Moody, um, We know from Moody Bible Institute and uh, Moody was preaching in Europe at the time. And so Horatio decided he and his family were going to take a trip to Europe to go see Moody preach and to just get away for a little while. So he sent his wife and his four daughters ahead on a ship because he had to stay back in Chicago and handle some work. The cruise liner that the women were on sank on its way to Europe. Though his wife survived, all four of his daughters were killed during that wreck. His wife got to Europe and sent him a telegram pretty famously. It just said, survived alone. So Horatio books himself uh, a boat ride, books himself on a cruise liner to get to Europe to go meet with his wife. And as he is riding on that ship, it took the exact same route. That the ship that was carrying all of his family on. And at one point, he passed over the very spot where the boat sank that was, his family had been, on, had been on board. And as he traveled past that spot, Horatio Spafford penned the lines to a very famous hymn that we all sing today. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let the blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. It is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Joy is not bound by circumstance. Joy finds its strength, its resolve, its grounding and rooting in God. It's why David could write psalm after psalm after psalm, praising God amidst war and depression and family tragedy. He could say, God, I trust you. It's why Paul while he is chained up waiting for the trial that would determine his life was able to not only say but live out the words of Philippians 4:4 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice. Suffering doesn't feel good. It hurts and it's hard, but it is not wasted. Joy looks at the hardships of life and says, I know God is in control. I know that Christ has died for my sins, provided forgiveness and new life for me. I know something better is coming. I know there's hope to be had, and I know that it is well with my soul. We see David say in verse 10, he rejoices knowing that God will not abandon him. He rejoices knowing God is with him, even when death looks like it is just around the corner. The fruit of joy is not only for you, though. Because joy nourishes anyone who experiences it. Joy in you is good for you, but it's good for others as well. I mean, think about how we have described joy here this morning. Think about the person in your life who is joyful, not just cheery and happy, but truly joyful. The kind of person who has great confidence in God's control and love for them. Don't you want to be with that person? Don't you want to just enjoy them? Don't you want to just learn from them and and be with them? People are drawn to joy. Your ability to have joy in the midst of life is a testimony to the reality of Christianity. It proves that Christianity is true. It proves that faith in God, that faith in Christ is not just break glass in case of emergency, but rather an everyday part of who you are. And that it impacts who you are and how you live. And if you can have joy in the midst of life getting hard and ugly, if you can dwell on your confidence in God, that's appealing to a dark world. That's appealing to a world marred by hate and pain and suffering. Joy can nourish others. David closes out this psalm with verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. It's an acknowledgement of the reality that true, real joy, that thing that is deeper than just having a good day so you're cheery, true joy, deep pleasure and satisfaction is found in the presence of God and God alone. The fullness of joy is found when we are walking with the Holy Spirit. Because as we walk with God, as we pursue a relationship with Him, He in turn is cultivating in us joy. It is the fruit of the Spirit. It is happening in you. It is inevitable. He is doing that work. Pastor Sam Storms once said, Joy is the absence is not the absence of suffering. Joy is the presence of God. I pray that as we live, as individuals, as a community, that we are known as a people that say that our hearts are glad, that our whole being rejoices, and that no matter what may come, because of the confidence we have in God, it is well, it is well, it is well with my soul. Let's pray.